Dictionary.com wants to know, what is a grammar Nazi? Here is their own answer, open quote. It's not me and Billy, it's Billy and I. So scolds the grammar Nazi. A grammar Nazi is a pedant who compulsively criticizes or corrects people's grammar mistakes, typos, misspellings, and other errors in speech or writing. Close quote. First of all, note the sarky tone. Words such as scolds, criticizes, pedant, mistakes, compulsively, and Nazi make it appear that bothering with grammar is not acceptable. Nonsense. What we find, unfortunately, is that even Dictionary.com is part of the conspiracy making sure kids won't learn how to write more precisely. Let's start over. Citizens of all ages need to know grammar, which is another name for rules of the game. Children need grammar just as they need to know the rules of chess, tennis, driving, how to behave in a restaurant, and all the other things that make complex pursuits possible. In the old days, admittedly, some teachers were tedious about grammar. Children were sometimes required to memorize minor rules, but that tide is no longer running. Now, anything resembling a rule is quickly drowned. When students write a paper or apply for a job, they're anxious because they don't know what's right and wrong. In the U.S., we speak of standard English. That's what most people do most of the time. It is extremely useful to know standard English. Let's everybody get busy and make it happen. Constructivism, which is explained in episode 70, dictates that children should figure out everything for themselves. Teachers are no longer allowed to teach. Expert educations claimed years ago that henceforth children could easily absorb all necessary wisdom from the air. This silly professor fantasy is subtle sabotage of knowledge, reading, spelling, grammar, punctuation style, and standards generally. The attack on grammar is part of the larger war against reading. American children starting school have two sets of handicaps before they begin, thanks to the anti-intellectual mindset in the education establishment. So if you can find anyone who's concerned about grammar and enjoys explaining it to people, I suggest you put that person to work teaching the rules. But all the while, be flexible and diplomatic. Languages and their rules are some of the most subtle structures imaginable. For example, there's long been a prejudice against splitting infinitives, but educated people know that every great writer has split infinitives. The goal of education is to help young people understand the nuances. That is, why do you do it one way one time and a different way another time? We see lots of people on the internet who don't know much about spelling, grammar, punctuation, etc. Remember that in the good old days, teachers actually taught grammar to children. Teachers corrected papers. But now if you correct a student, you'll be accused of trampling on someone's self-esteem. They should be so lucky. One development worth mentioning is Grammarly, an app used by 30 million people every day. And that's a statistic that shows the vast amount of people who need help. It also shows that clever programmers can fill the vacuum created by our can't-be-bothered educators. Now note that Grammarly.com was invented by Ukrainians in Kiev. 
the Russians should have figured out that Ukrainians would be smart opponents. The bosses are billionaires now, mainly because our education establishment created an educational wasteland, eager for nourishment. Grammarly is like having your own personal secretary. This might seem like cheating, but most of the students need all the help they can get. An adult using Grammarly can quickly pick up all those things that were never taught. But whatever the goal, it's important to experiment with new tools and techniques. Check to see what homeschoolers are doing. In bad schools where grammar and rules hardly matter, you may be criticized for trying to do the right thing. The critics will talk about classism and snobbery. Please do not retreat. In conclusion, grammar is not a prison, as many progressives would like to suggest. It's a map and a road to where you want to go. Thank you. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, The big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lenin's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of sub-educated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.